leading us uh, so well in um, leading us uh, through singing and praise. We are continuing on in our sermon series, uh, What Does That Mean? And um, before we sort of um, get into it, I do want to <coughs> show you some some pictures. Sammy, if you want to bring up some of those pictures for us, mate. Images. Not a bad looking young fella, is he? Like the team he plays for. Next one, Sam. Anybody know him? Alright, a few heads nodding. Yeah, yeah, maybe. And uh, he looks a bit pale on the head there. I don't know that picture. <laughs> Didn't quite come out that well. Next one, Sam. Right, oh, some of you know that guy. Two from the same team, a yeah, bit of you know, bias there. Okay, is there something common between all those three pitches? All football players. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What was that, Dave? Tattoos, that's right. Something common there between all those three images? Tattoos. And uh, that was one of the questions we have received uh, in this series. Is it okay to have tattoos? What does the Bible have to say about tattoos? I thought that's a great question. What does the Bible have to say about tattoos? Are they okay? So we found a passage of scripture that uh, talks about it. Actually, there's only one passage in the whole Bible that talks about it, but we've got it today here in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 26 through 28. So if you've got your Bibles, let's have a read there in Leviticus chapter 19, verse uh, 26 through to 28. And it says this, You shall not eat any flesh with the blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. You shall not round off the hair on your temples or mar the edges of your beard. You shall not make any cuts on your body for the dead or tattoo yourselves. I am the Lord. Interesting bit of scripture, isn't it? Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you that uh, we can gather today here and come around your word. Now, Holy Spirit, I just ask and pray now as we uh, consider uh, this passage of scripture, as we consider this question, we ask and pray that you would lead us and guide us into the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, we know that will transform our hearts and help us to become more like Christ and to glorify him. Uh, Lord, we pray for your help now. Any preconceived ideas, either one way or the other, I ask, Lord, now whether we just open up our hearts to hear uh, what you've got to say through your word here, and that, Lord, we would come away uh, saying today it's been good to be in the house of the Lord as we've heard his word. Uh, God, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Really interesting uh, topic. Um, I was sort of thinking of the, the rise and the trend of uh, tattoos perhaps over the, over the years, and over the last 20 years there's been a significant rise uh, in the popularity of tattooing. Uh, back when I was a boy growing up through the 70s and 80s, tattoos were generally associated with bikey gangs, truck drivers or sailors. That was about as far as it got, as that was concerned. If you saw a bikey gang coming through town in summer, uh, you could often see them pulled up at the lights and you could see their tattoos on their arms and whatnot very clearly. And you would often see skull and crossbones uh, on them or there'd be sort of guns and daggers. Uh, You could sort of see weird-looking sort of angry animals as well tattooed on their arms. 
And, and yes, sometimes you did see the word mum there as well, sort of amidst all those other bits and pieces there. Uh, generally, these guys uh, with tattoos and these biker gangs were, were sort of a part of a, a macho image, a bit of a sort of a tough man sort of thing. Um, it sort of sent a signal to you as a boy uh, that a guy with tattoos was a mean dude not to sort of cross with. That was sort of the, you know, the image that sort of come as, uh, as you looked at this. Uh, truck drivers as well had tattoos back then, and they still do as well. Uh, but they had more like names on their shoulders. Uh, could have been their kids or things like that or, and other sorts of designs. They weren't really into pictures of weapons or death or things like that on their, on their shoulders. But even these tattoos on the truck drivers gave you the image of sort of tough guy, truck driver type thing. That was sort of the images you would take away or, with, or you would form uh, in your mind. Uh, we had a bloke who worked for us in our orchard who had a tattoo of an eye in between his two real eyes. So he had this eye tattooed here like this. Now, he wasn't a scary guy at all. He was a great guy, actually. I really enjoyed him. He was always out uh, to help you. Um, and he never actually sort of, you know, like I said, gave you any fear. He was just a really helpful guy, but you know, a bit rough around the edges, but no, just a great guy. But I always had trouble talking to him. <laughs> I didn't know which eye to look at. I could sort of see this middle eye here. Even his eyes were closed. He was still looking at me sort of thing, but he was a great guy and I loved him. He was, he was fantastic. Uh, although I did have one really scary experience as a young boy growing up with tattoos. It was actually when I played football. Uh, when you play football, it's generally sort of thinking a guy with a tattoo, is just, he's like a meat axe, he's just going to come and take you out on the field and really just grind you into the ground. Well, that was the thought. Well, I had to play on uh, this guy once in, uh, in football and he had tattoos. But get this, it was in under-14s. And you, you probably sort of, is that right? Yeah, it is, legit. He had homemade tattoos or backyard tattoos, but they were legit permanent ink tattoos. Uh, and he was 13 years old. So you could imagine that whole week when I knew I had to play on Big Normie, I was pretty fearful the whole week because I thought, he's going to take me out, he's going to do something to me. So I had this really scary experience here. I was sort of packing myself all week about this. Um, but that's, you know, that's sort of tattoos over the last 30, 40 years. Over the last 20 years, though, there's been an explosion of tattoos. It's now, now no longer just associated with bikies and truckers and sailors. Now there's celebrities and there's sporting stars who've set a real trend in influencing people um, to get tattoos. It's just happened and exploded over the last 20 years or so. Sporting stars will often get them now. They'll get them somewhere uh, on their body, often on an ankle, after they've won a grand final or a premiership or, or something like that. They've won, you know, achieved some, a gold medal. They might actually tattoo a, an Olympic medal down on their ankle. And it's just a reminder, perhaps, of the team or the premiership they played in, and maybe it helps them get into a reunion party 50 years later. They can pull their sock out and show the tattoo and they can get in and they're part of the team. I don't know. But sporting stars have done that. Celebrities also have gone through a whole trend of collecting tattoos. Uh, movie actors and pop stars over the last 20 years have been drawn to uh, the culture of putting tattoos on their body. There's been a real rise of these nice sort of clean-cut actors uh, going out and getting a tattoo. I don't know what drives that. Um, is there a sense of wanting to break out of the mould by getting a tattoo? Uh, is there a sense of... Um, now, they want to be the individual who stands out from the crowd with a tattoo. Uh, is it an art form thing? Uh, do they just want to catch the eye of other people and perhaps uh, to, to have them look at them? I'm not really sure why they've done that, 
but that's happened over the last uh, 20 years or so. Now, this hasn't been restricted to men only. Previously, back 30, 40 years ago, it was just basically men who received or who went out and got these tattoos. But I think we've all seen sometimes uh, some of those really beautiful, gorgeous women actors who are walking down the red carpet at a film preview and then they sort of do a twirl or a spin for the camera and then all of a sudden you see this sort of half their shoulder covered in a tattoo. So it hasn't been restricted to men only. Uh, women also have been drawn to tattooing as well. Also, this tattoo phenomena hasn't left the Christian world untouched either. Uh, perhaps over the last 10 years, there's been a significant rise also in Christians uh, getting tattoos. Uh, probably unheard of 20 years ago, but now it's not hard to see a cross or a Bible verse or something of a Christian symbol uh, tattooed on a Christian's arm. And particularly young Christian people have gone out in reasonable numbers to get tattoos. I know a few of the influential mu- uh, music sort of... Um, I hesitate to say stars, but I mean, influential music people have gone and got these tattoos and a lot of other young people have followed suit and done the same thing. So there's a quick glimpse, perhaps, of the rise and the trend of tattoos over the last 20 years or so, and perhaps going back 30 or 40 years as well. What does the Bible say about tattoos? Is God even interested in tattoos? Has he got anything at all to sort of give us any help here with tattoos. As we've read in Leviticus, uh, this is the only mention of tattoos in the Bible. And some might go to Revelation and say, doesn't Jesus have uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords sort of on his thigh? Some people say it's tattooed on there. If you read Revelation, it doesn't really clearly say that. Anyway, but we'll say here, particularly the word tattoo is only found uh, in the book of Leviticus. Now, the Hebrew word itself, where it's got the word tattoo in our English Bible, refers to engraving or disfiguring. That was the the original Hebrew understanding of that word tattoo. So I can really see how tattoo does fit in there because when you tattoo, you are actually engraving something. I've got a small tattoo there as well from yesterday at the football cattle. The will wash off. When you are tattooing, um, you are engraving or you're disfiguring to some extent the skin. You know, the skin could be white or black or brown and you actually are disfiguring it to some extent. So I can see how the word disfiguring or engraving there, the English translation becomes tattoo. So in this uh, verse here in uh, 26, 28, what are we to make of this verse or reference here to tattoo in the Bible? How do we understand, as we think about this, the connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the two parts of the Bible? What is the whole purpose of Leviticus 4? Perhaps some of you have got to the book of Leviticus in your Bible reading. You've read the first two chapters and nearly fell asleep and just skipped over to Psalms. Sometimes people get to Leviticus and it's a bit like that. It's all those priestly instructions and sacrificial instructions and it's all that law stuff. It just puts you to sleep. You sort of can't really get interested in the book of Leviticus. I know my own kids have come to me and said, Dad, what is Leviticus all about? I don't get it whatsoever. Why did Moses write that they shouldn't tattoo themselves anyway? Leviticus can be a bit of a scary book at times because it just doesn't seem to make any sense for us. Well, to help us understand here uh, what Leviticus is about, we need to actually set the framework. And the only way to, to really understand the framework of Leviticus is you need to read that book in conjunction with the other four books that Moses has written. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So, what we need to see, there's the picture here that God is showing us. And the picture we see in those first five books of the Bible is that God has fulfilled his covenant promises to Abraham by rescuing God's chosen people out of Egypt. God promised that from Abraham would come a nation set apart apart for God. This nation then would go into captivity for 400 years and that they did into Egypt. Moses comes along as God's instrument and God uses him to miraculously rescue Israel from Egypt. This is a picture here of God's saving grace as he draws his people out of captivity and bondage, out of Egypt, and then leads them out as a community to himself. He calls out this nation of people to himself and out of this nation will eventually come Jesus Christ, the Messiah. This is God's grace. This is God's covenant to these people. Uh, This nation is led out. So the Israelites, when they come out, they are led out into the barren wilderness of the Middle East. The first five books of the Bible traces them actually through this really uh, long journey in the barren wilderness of the Middle East. And ultimately they are brought into the promised land of Canaan is where they are heading for. But here in Leviticus, where we are reading from today, they are presently in the wilderness. That's where they are. They are stuck out in the desert. And they've been brought out into the desert, separated from Egypt at this time. That's primary, That's presently where they are. But they are God's people in the wilderness who now need to be taught about him. Who he is and how to live for him as his community. Because all they've ever known beforehand is Egypt and all of its ungodly ways. That's that's what they've lived amongst for the last 400 years, surrounded by this Egyptian culture and Egyptian ways. They now need to be retrained, as it were, about God and who he is. This is where Leviticus begins to fit in. It's like these instructions here of how to live. And perhaps one standout theme for Leviticus that is really echoed right throughout the whole book is the theme of holiness. Holiness. Now, verse 2 of the same chapter we're in says this, Uh, This is God speaking to Moses. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This becomes a really strong theme right through the book of Leviticus here is holy living. Now, sometimes we get a bit scared of this word holy. What does that mean? Do we have to be sort of become all these priestly sort of people and and dress up in garb and, and, you know, wear collars back to front and all sorts of things? Simply, the word holy means to be pure or clean or separated. Pure, clean or separated. So if someone is going to live a holy life, that would mean they would purify themselves by separating themselves from all evil and unholy things. In many respects, someone choosing that life would now need to be shown what's right and what's wrong, what's holy or what's unholy here Okay, if I'm going to live this life, how do I know what's right, what's wrong? They need to be shown that. And this is what much of Leviticus is about. It's a setting out of these uh, laws and procedures for a people who are heading down the path of holy living. That's why you see stacks of sort of um, laws or rules or what do I do to be holy or what do I do to, to live a holy life as such. And if you read through this chapter here, if you read right through the whole chapter of 19, you'll see some really life-building instructions here about loving our neighbour 
as ourselves. And nobody would disagree with that if you read through 19, that those laws are really good for holy living, about loving our neighbour as ourselves. This then brings us to these couple of strange verses here in verse 26 and verse 28. Stuff about how you cut your hair or beard. Why is God concerned about that? Why is he concerned how I do my hair or what I do with my beard? Or why is he concerned about cutting ourselves and not tattooing? Why are those verses here? Why does he say that? Let's remember where the Israelites have come from and where they're going to. They've come from 400 years of living amongst the Egyptian lifestyle. They've witnessed 400 years of their pagan ungodly practices. That's not 40 minutes or 40 days. It's 400 years. So that's going back for us about 1618. So 400 years of living in that particular way. And they're going into a land where they will live amongst the people who will carry out their own pagan ungodly rituals and false worship. They're going to be surrounded by that. They've come out of that for the last 400 years. That's all they've really ever seen and known is the way the Egyptians have carried out their false worship. And they're going to live amongst a group of nations who are going to carry out their own pagan and ungodly ways as well. So God is instructing the Israelites to separate themselves from these ungodly practices. They need to be retrained, transformed in their minds. So he's saying, don't follow what your neighbours will do around you when they mourn the dead. This is where 26 and 28 come in. Don't do what, they've, what you've seen them in doing for the last 400 years. Perhaps the Egyptians were tattooing themselves as a way of appeasing their false gods on behalf of the dead. Perhaps, or it seems like, they were inflicting themselves for the dead as some sort of ritual with cutting themselves or tattooing themselves. It's a picture here of what the ungodly practices were around about them taking place. God is saying to Israel, that's wrong. Don't do that. That's false. You need to separate yourself from them and not get involved in that false type of worship. You don't have to trim your beards. If you see old pictures, you'll see their beards are nearly circular. And that was because they were trying to trim their beards in the image of the false gods they were following in Egypt. And the same, you might see those funny Egyptian haircuts. They sort of go straight across. Same thing. It was all actually to um, reflect the false Egyptian gods that they were worshipping at that particular time. God is saying they're false. Don't be drawn into the culture around about you and to worship their false gods. I've actually redeemed you from that, the Lord says, to now live for me, to live the right way that will bring honour and glory to my name and also be best for your lives to see them flourishing. So the best understanding here of this verse, 26, 28, particularly 28 as we think about it today, is that Moses is instructing the Israelites to be no longer involved in the cultural practices of those around about them. They're tattooing themselves for false reasons, for somehow appeasing false gods in mourning the dead. Don't get involved in that. Don't do that. But this then raises the next question. The Bible is the Bible, okay? So whatever is said there must still be good for today. Is that not a question that maybe sort of rises in our mind? The Bible's the Bible, hasn't changed. What's, so surely that means 
No tattoos then, no tattoos today. Because the Bible's the Bible, we don't question it. That's a question that perhaps comes up in our mind. This is then where we have to look at the whole of Scripture and understand the connection here between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How do these two work together? And actually how we see Jesus who overarches all of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. The Jewish nation, as it were, called out uh, under God into the wilderness at that time is called a theocracy now. Don't get blown away by that word. We live under a democracy here in this country. A theocracy is a big word, but it just simply means uh, that they were under the direct rulership of God. They were under the direct governance of God. And if you go through the first five books of the Bible, the Jews pulled out, as well, I think about 613 laws out of these books of the Bible here, as well as a whole heap of other ceremonial and sacrificial rules as well. A whole stack of things here to govern themselves. There were civil laws, ceremonial laws and sacrificial laws. And much of the sacrificial laws were designed by God at that particular time to point towards the once and for all sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. Jesus is the fulfilment of the Old Testament. It all points to him and he fulfills it all. In fact, this is how Paul the Apostle saw it in the book of Romans in chapter 10. He says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He's the end of the law. Paul could have just as easily said, Christ has fulfilled the law on our behalf for our righteousness. Jesus has perfectly obeyed God's law on our behalf. He did what we could never do. Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law. He's actually put an end to the law. So in this action of Jesus in his life and his death and his resurrection, he has fulfilled all of the civil ceremonial and sacrificial laws that you can find in the Old Testament. He's completed them all and fulfilled them all so that we no longer have to fulfil that law, as it were, to be righteous before God. Jesus has done it for us. So if we say that then, Christ is the end of the law, he's fulfilled it all, then the Old Testament law no longer applies to us. We aren't living in a theocracy under God, as in direct governance under God, like Israel was. And Jesus has completed the law on our behalf. So then the laws of the Old Testament don't apply to us today. Now, before you even think about saying, hip, hip, hooray, the shackles are off, and we can live how we like or live how we please, the God of the New Testament is the same God as the Old Testament. There's no difference. And if we are truly born again, if we have truly had the Holy Spirit come and reveal to us the gospel of Jesus Christ and who he is, we will desire to live holy lives to the glory of God our Saviour, just like they would be living holy lives in the Old Testament. God doesn't cease to be holy. And he desires to recreate us into pure and clean and holy living as well so that we can flourish as his creation. So then what about these laws in the Old Testament? Are they 
totally done away with? How do we deal with them? Yes, yes, we no longer live by the civil or ceremonial or sacrificial laws that you'll see detailed through the Old Testament. They're not there for us to fulfil. But as a good rule of thumb, as a guide, any law that's from the Old Testament that's restated or implied in the New Testament, we use as a guide for holy living and apply to ourselves today uh, in the New Testament living. For example, we are told not to lie in the Old Testament. I think it's about the ninth commandment, thou shalt not lie. A great law. It's in the Old Testament. But we are also told in the New Testament to speak the truth as well. In other words, don't lie. So from Old Testament to New Testament, that has not changed. That still applies to us today. So we gladly obey those laws from God our Creator. So if it's something in the old and it's restated in the new, we follow that. We, we, we live by that as a guide for holy living. You might say, after all that, that's a whole stack of talking there, Todd. There's a whole lot of hot air. What's the point then? What's the point then as we think about this verse here in Leviticus 19.28? A whole lot of background there. To tattoo yourself, your body is not a sin. To tattoo yourself and to engrave your skin will not cut you off from God. There's no command in the New Testament that says you shall not tattoo yourselves. So therefore we aren't sinning against God if we get a tattoo. Tattoos are totally okay. You might just say, why don't we just jump there right in the first place and go straight to it and just say that? Well, I like to put the foundations in place and the thinking behind it because I think it's really helpful for us to get good understanding. To tattoo yourself isn't a sin. It will not cut you off from God. I personally am totally okay with tattoos. Totally okay with them. And I gladly welcome all people with tattoos here to Exchange Church. And I pray God sends many, many, many people with tattoos to Exchange Church so they can discover who Jesus Christ is. I look forward to that. I really do look forward to that. Seeing many people come with tattoos to discover who Jesus is. Is that the end of the story? Tattoos are okay, but... Right on cue, wasn't it? Right on cue. Tattoos are okay, but, didn't happen that time, we can't just leave it there. We can't just leave it there. I believe we need to ask some questions about tattooing to help us think about it a little deeper. And I say that because I believe there can be some real danger with tattoos, not so much in the physical sense, but in our spiritual well-being. And I think it's really important that we think about that. The big question to ask when it comes to tattooing is why? Why? Why are you considering getting a tattoo? I'm not against it, but I'm just saying we need to ask these questions. Why are you considering getting a tattoo? What is motivating you to get a tattoo? You see, if we stop and ask these questions, we may just begin to see What's driving our heart in a desire to get a tattoo? It's not wrong, but why? What's driving me to do this? 
And this is incredibly important to know where our heart is because often much danger can lurk in our hearts if we don't examine what's happening in our hearts and what's going on. The heart is the control centre of our being. It's the most important part about who we are. So it's really important to ask why I want to get a tattoo. What's actually driving me to do that? Here's a couple of possible questionable reasons that may drive somebody to get a a tattoo. I want a tattoo because I see all the other people with them around me and they look really cool. I want to identify with them and look like them. If I do that, I'll feel a bit more like them and I'll fit in better. Could be possibly someone's thinking in desiring a tattoo. They want to be more like the people around about them. If someone come to me and were honest and saying that's what's sort of driving me about getting a tattoo, a big caution sign would go up for me then. A big caution sign would go up. I would think maybe then you're struggling with identity here. Maybe you're struggling with identity. I would see a sense of not really happy I'm thinking of a, of a Christian person here. You're not really happy in, on identifying with Christ and looking to get a little closer, but you're looking to get a little closer in identifying with the secular culture around about us. You just don't feel like you, you fit in well enough with perhaps some of your friends. Now, or perhaps you're thinking, I'm missing out on some of the coolness of having a tattoo. And perhaps people will accept me more if I have a tattoo. So if you're thinking like that, I would have a caution sign. It's just some... Red lights would go off for me saying, I think the motivation or what's driving you to that point is very questionable. And I'd actually counsel you at that particular time, you need to go deeper into Christ and get far more comfortable in your untattooed skin with him before you even consider going down the path of getting a tattoo. Get really deep in Christ and be well acquainted with him before you think you need to get well acquainted with the secular culture around about you. I think you'd have to think very much about that. Perhaps another reason for a tattoo for some people is they're wanting to draw attention to themselves. They're wanting to become a standout point. People may get a tattoo so they are noticed more by others. Again, if someone was thinking like that, I would see a really big caution sign go up this year. I want people to notice me, so I'm going to put a tattoo on my arm or maybe a third eye in the middle. A big caution sign would go up for me. I would say, why do you want more attention? Why do you want to be noticed more? Are you feeling insecure about who you are? Will you only feel good about yourself when people show attention and ask about your new tattoo? Is it really a heart cry from within you which is saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. You're trying to do something to make yourself uh, draw attention to. If that was the case... I'd have to lovingly come alongside you and say, look, your thinking is really flawed if you're thinking like that. So what happens when your new tattoo uh, becomes an old tattoo and people stop talking about it? So what do you do? Do you go and get another tattoo? And they talk about that for a while. But that becomes an old tattoo. That's going to happen. And if that's the case, you'll then put yourself under this vicious cycle of always needing something new to draw attention to yourself to draw somehow people's interest towards you. And the trouble with that also, you'll always see something else on somebody else that is better than what you've got and you're never quite going to match up to what they've got which is drawing attention to them. It becomes a really vicious cycle. 
and you can't win. That thinking becomes very flawed here if you're thinking, I'll get a tattoo because I want to draw attention to myself. It just won't last. It's a lose-lose scenario. If you have that sort of thinking, I would counsel you to go really look at Christ and go deeper in his love that he has for you just as you are and get more comfortable with him in that sense. And you don't need a tattoo or anything else to draw attention to yourself from Christ. He loves you just as you are. Go in that direction. And ultimately his love is the most important love that you could ever, ever receive in this world. So again, if someone's thinking, I want to draw attention to myself by getting a tattoo, I'd say caution, caution. You may have another good reason here for a tattoo. A really good reason perhaps. Maybe you want to, uh, a tattoo to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And I've known plenty that have gone down this path. Perhaps you want it to be a conversation starter with your friends. You may carefully select a Bible verse or a cross or an empty tomb, something that will be significant that will point to Jesus Christ to help you a witness possibly. You'll try and promote there a conversation starter. Maybe you want to reach out to the tattoo culture. Could be a reason someone goes out and uh, embarks on getting a tattoo. Now it's not wrong, not wrong to do that. We just pointed all that out. But here's a few things to think about though, if that was the way you want it to go with your witness. I want it to be a conversation starter. Just don't forget, tattoos are permanent. They don't wash off. They stay there for a long time. You can't go in the bath and just get the old old soap out and scrub them off. It's just not going to happen. So whatever picture or verse or whatever thing you want to put there may be all right now in the season where you're at. But in 10 years, you may be thinking very differently about it. You might wake up one day and look in the mirror and think, what on the earth did I put that on for? Possibly that thought might go through your mind. Tattoos are permanent. You can't get rid of them. Well, you can, but it's a lot more pain, a lot of money to get rid of them. It's a permanent thing. And don't forget the tattoo that you get at 25 may look very sharp and clear and colourful. But at 45, if you're anything like me, Things don't quite go so well when you're 45 or 52 now. Things, they won't look as sharp and as clean and as clear. It'll be a bit blurry and around the edges. That'll happen as well. Think about those things. Really important. Some tattoos may even exclude you from gospel work. In some cultures, where you may go into, I know, I think it's particularly some Muslim cultures, um, you will, would not be able to minister into a Muslim culture with tattoos. So if you're a Christian thinking about it, you need to think about the really big picture there. There's just a few things to think about. Now, one helpful thing I might point you towards as well, uh, John Piper has an Ask Pastor John app. If you go to that app, which we promote here at the church, uh, go into that app and search tattoos and you'll hear a couple of great um, six or eight minute um, discussions about that as well for more reasons. There's some thoughts though to think about there uh, for tattoos. So friends, hear me clearly. Hear me clearly today. Tattoos are not sinful. They will not separate you from God. And as I said before, I welcome all tattooed people to Exchange Church. And I pray that we would see many, many tattooed people come to Exchange to find Christ. If you've got tattoos today, and I know some of you have, that makes no scrap of difference to me. I don't see anybody differently at all if they have tattoos. It just doesn't mean a thing to me at all. I love everybody the same and I'll take everybody in the same as well. Perhaps today, though, if you were looking for some sort of markings today, though, to, to
to uh, maybe become that conversation starter to somehow show Jesus through your life, let me tell you, here's the pictures that we need to show people. And these aren't necessarily the pictures on your arms. Perhaps for Father's Day, you're thinking, how could I somehow show Christ to my kids? And maybe you had a remote thought, or maybe I might get a tattoo. Here's some pictures beyond that that will really show Jesus Christ. And one of the greatest things that we can put on show for Jesus Christ is the character of Christ living out through us, as Simon alluded to before, living out Jesus. If we can display the holy character of Christ, that will be one of the strongest attractions and potentially conversation starters for the gospel. If we can let the character of Christ, as it were, naturally come out of our lives, if we can live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit to show this character of Christ, it will, in a sense, draw people to Jesus. It really will. And this starts by recognising the marks that Jesus bared upon his body for us. And he did bear marks. Let's read about what Isaiah the prophet said about Jesus. Here's what he says in Isaiah 52. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was marked for us. He was disfigured for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, with his disfigurement, with his marring of his flesh, we are healed. All we like of sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was tattooed, not with ink, not with ink. He was marked and disfigured by our sin. If we can just get a grasp of that and allow that transformation that Jesus Christ brings into our life today, the marking and the disfiguring that Christ has received, we can allow it to shine out through our lives through holy living. That will be the greatest attraction and conversation starter that we could ever ever show this world the marks that Christ has done for us. So that today, tattoos or no tattoos, we can find that forgiveness, wholeness and transformation in him. Let's pray. Father, today, thank you. Thank you and praise you that we can uh, come and open up your word. Thank you that it's living and it's active. Thank you, God, today that your word speaks into our hearts. Uh, Lord, thank you as we just... 
think about this issue and think about uh, the topic of tattooing. God, I pray today that you will draw many, many, many people to exchange with tattoos. God, I pray that we get the opportunity to share with them the greatest news they will ever, ever hear. The redemption and the transformation that Jesus Christ offers through the gospel. Lord, today perhaps some have tattoos and Lord, perhaps they're feeling like they didn't want them anymore. Lord, I pray just give them peace and give them an ability, Lord, just to trust in you at this particular time. Perhaps others are thinking about them, Lord. I pray, God, please help them to think um, carefully and and long and hard and to uh, maybe consult other people's opinions as well, Father. But we praise you today that uh, we can think about life and all of its complexities and all of its uh, variety that comes to us. Lord, I pray today that Jesus would be our treasure and that he would, Lord, with his marks of disfigurement of the cross, uh, that would speak loudly into our lives and through that we would... uh, decide to live for him and allow his life to live out through us. God, I ask that. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Any questions? From that? All good. Um, Happy to catch up with you after the service. Uh, We are going to finish with a song, so if you guys want to pop up, that would be great.